The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 165 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, I should have changed the intro. We are now an American Poker Award nominated podcast. Um, I, some, <laughs> someone tweeted me to that. I looked into it. Kev Mars tweeted me. And we were shortlisted with like another six or seven, uh, which is pretty good considering how many podcasts got nominated and are out there. Uh, how many podcasts are... I thought, is this a list of every poker podcast there is? Because if so, I don't feel too honored. But then again, I don't listen to poker podcasts, so you would know more than I do. Is this cool? Is this good? No, well, I mean, I don't really listen to them either now, but <laughs> that's the funny... We're a great source. <laughs> that's yeah. the funny thing, but... Um, I think part of that is because we do our one. I mean, the only podcast gambling related I really listen to now anymore is that Gambling with an Edge. Um, but I listen to that because there's lots of stories and it's not just poker. They're, they're talking about everything. I mean, they even get me interested when they're talking about the Super Bowl and stuff. And I don't even know what's going on um, when I watch, you know, things like that. Right, but right. poker wise, um, yeah, there was a big list of nominations that had lots of them. But no, we got whittled down to some like shortlist. So yeah, it's good. Um, oh, good times. Yeah, yeah. So I said I tweeted. I can't remember who it was, but I did like a Donald Trump tweet um, in response to it, saying like, <laughs> I'm I'm actually from Scotland, not a shithole country. Um, so for the American <laughs> Poker Awards, but uh, we're doing huge. We're, we're doing huge things. We got sixty million listeners last month. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We got 10.8 billion listeners. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's all good. So thanks for that. Um, we'll, we'll see what comes with it. We're not holding our breaths for, um, I think it said when I read the judging criteria, it was like the panel will decide on quality and, uh, was it quality and sort of regular, you know, episodes. So we do the regular episodes in terms of weekly, but yeah, our overall mm. quality in terms of production quality is, is lacking, I think. So, uh, Meh. Yeah, Meh. yeah, content's uh, We're king. still the best. Content's Woo! king, yeah. America. Content's king. Yeah, sorry, yeah. going to continue. Anyway, if we win, I said I'm going to send like a Native American, like what Marlon Brando did at the Oscars. Remember, he sent a Native American to pick up the award as some sort of like protest. <laughs> 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 yeah. like, hey, oh. I'm Native American. Send me. I'll send you that. I, I got to. <laughs> I got told I could get my tribal card from my family at Thanksgiving. I said, what? 
Yeah. We get tribal cards now, and then my cousin pulled it. He he grabbed it like he uh we he he said the name of our tribe from Alaska. I don't know it. I can't remember it. But yeah, yeah, you can send me. I look exactly like what you picture when you think of a Native American. You know, white, blue eyes, <laughs> all that good stuff. Was that the Assassinaquas? <laughs> I, I think that was the. <laughs> The assassin I'm embarrassed how much I'm laughing at that. <laughs> oh, well. uh, so what, what's been, uh, apart from you finding out about your heritage, um, I take it you're going to open a casino or something. Is that what they do in America Like when you get? Yeah. 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 I'm going to run for office like uh, my fellow tribe member Elizabeth Warren did. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, other than that, what's going on? Yeah. Not... not uh, I, I can't think of any overwhelming thing that's happened in the last week that is really of note. Uh, just really enjoying living in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and New York City. Uh, working out a lot. I've worked out the last four days in a row. I feel like I feel like one of those tools who posts every time he's on Facebook uh, about his workout. When I say that, but that really is, I know some people who listen to this podcast want to know about the whole life thing. I've, the, the week before this, I was really struggling with anxiety. I think that's because uh, my new project that I put together, Master Tournament Poker in one day, I was just really breaking myself trying to get the charts right, trying to get the lessons right, trying to get the PowerPoints right, trying to record everything. Uh, trying to get, I'm doing a free webinar with Advanced Poker Training on Friday. Uh, just trying to get that all done. And I did it, something I've been playing with is, if you want to work ahead on something, don't tell yourself, okay, I have to get this all done today, so I'll have eight free days next week to do whatever. Because that just sounds like, do a lot of work today so you can work on a lot of other stuff in a few days. What I told myself was, why don't you do a lot of work today? Or why, why don't you just see how far ahead you can get today? In every 20 minutes you do today on the project, that's 20 minutes you're not going to have to do down by the buzzer and get stressed about. So multiply that by a bunch of days a week, and I got 90% of the project done. I took a strategy I thought was, interesting which was this week i've tried to distance myself from the material before i make one final video recapping everything mm -hmm. so i can have a a little bit more clarity on what i want to tell everybody the actual concepts the actual system that i think will help you play tournament poker much to a better degree than 99 percent of the field that's all in place but i wanted to make sure i got the overarching theme down to the best of my ability, to the best of my understanding. And I think I'm ready to make that video today and tomorrow. And then I'm done. And this is a really new feeling for me because this week I've essentially just been ahead on everything. And uh, I'm at a point where I feel like I'm really doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I, I feel as if I'm doing the stuff that I've always knew, known I could do, but I haven't been doing. And it, it's really a great feeling. I'm really looking forward to the future. It, it, it's interesting, Barry. Tell me what you think of this. Uh, 
I've been reading this book called The QB, amazing book. It's a little dated now. It's funny to call it dated because it's only five years old, but it's, uh, it, I know you're not into the Super Bowl or football or anything, but you, you know what the quarterback is, I assume. <laughs> yeah. That is one of the weirdest positions in all of sports because there's only one professional football league of any consequence in the world, and that's the NFL. And it, it, there is some with the CFL, but the quarterback is essentially the gunslinger, the pitcher, the commander. And if you don't work out for one year, you're gone. That's it. So these kids, you know, there's thousands and thousands of quarterbacks, and there's only, you know, a handful of starting positions in the NFL. And if you don't work out one year, uh, you're done. That uh, the, the guy who won the Super Bowl uh, this year, uh, he, uh, Nick Foles, he was on he was on the Pro Bowl squad his first year uh, under Chip Kelly, and uh, that's like the All Star game, right? And then like the next year he was out, like the the next year he had a bad year, the third year he was out, and he didn't get another shot till the lead guy went down uh, in Philly, and he got to take over for the team because they didn't have anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. And he played an amazing game, and this guy's a second stringer, right? So. I was reading this book because I found it really fascinating about what separated the guy who made it and the guys who didn't, right? Because there's a lot of guys that just, they, they do stuff that even, you know, you don't know anything about American football, but you could watch it and go, oh my lord, right? Like, how did that human being do that? It's just like, when I watch Ronaldo, I don't, I don't, I don't understand soccer, but I go, oh my god, that must have taken his whole life to nail that down, right? And... There's a, there, there's thousands of guys that can do stuff like that, but only a handful of them make it in. And these guys, these private quarterback coaches that make millions of dollars a year developing these guys, what the mentality that they get into is so fascinating because in one of the things they hammer down on is uh, they, they had one guy, one of the biggest coaches, he had the record for throwing passes without an interception, right? Like the other team not grabbing it and taking it away. And then when he got to the pros, like the, the coaching was so negative uh, that he was just worried about making a mistake all the time. And he went from the, he had a record for 20 years in college football of throwing the most passes without an interception to the interception leader in the NFL, right? led his team to a Super Bowl win, and the next year his team said, see ya, you're so bad, I don't, we don't even want you, mm-hmm. right? And uh, he said that negative reinforcement is what screws over all these guys, right? And yet at the same time, they had a guy, we had a guy in NFL football five years ago, Johnny Manziel, who, if you watch this guy play college football, you thought this, is, this guy might be the greatest football player who ever lived. He came into the NFL, he was a total bust. Right, because he was just too cocky and he didn't show up for practices and he wasn't elaborate. He wasn't a thinker out there and he didn't. Uh, he he couldn't work well versus these defenses that are honestly trained like the military uh, to go after these guys. And they talk about this special delicate balance as far as mentality of you got you can't be you can't be cocky. Because cocky means you don't put in the work. But at the same time, and this is something that's really interesting to me, is you can't be 
they're they're really not big on modesty either. They're like, yeah, be modest because you don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable, but you privately can't believe that. You can't, and but you don't have to take pride in like I have the best arm, right? You got to take pride in your work ethic. You have to say like nobody works harder than I do, and when I work when I work hard, great things happen, and when I when I put the effort in, I'm the kind of guy that pays attention to details, and I'm going to keep working. I'm always going to outwork the other guy. And they say NFL teams, they see that. They're like, oh, this is the guy we want leading the charge, right? This is the guy that's going to get everybody in the locker room worked up. This, this is the one who's going to do it. And the last couple of weeks, I've been really priding myself on, you know what? You know who's up at 2 a.m.? Me and, like, 15 other guys, right? Everybody else is asleep. Everybody else is high. Everybody else is drunk. Everybody else is chasing some girl they shouldn't be chasing. And at 4 a.m., I'm starting to think, like, I, I'm one of five guys who's still up working on this, right? And just taking pride in the work ethic of it all. There's, I've gotten a lot of crap for shifting to coaching over the past couple of years. And really, to give you the honest reason why I went into it is I went over – a database in like 2010, 2011. And I had in this database, uh, if you played a WSOP series from start to finish six weeks, every Hold'em event, I was looking at a database of 800 years of the world series of poker, right? If you played from start to finish and this guy had run under expectation, like 60% under expectation, Mm -hmm. right? A fantastic player. And I realized this game is really brutal. This is not, this isn't something you can stake your life on. Like, I really thought that. Like, you can do this as a various serious side project, or you can hustle at low stakes, mm-hmm. or you can turn this into a career by going off the felt. There's a hundred million poker players, right? If you get a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of them to buy anything, you're wealthy, right? And I started pursuing that, and I started, like, the last couple of weeks, I started thinking, like, who has this system? Like, who... Who's been working this hard and taking pride in things, right? My new lessons have, it, it sucks because I'm booked out for the whole month, which is not, which doesn't suck, but it sucks because I can't take on new students. Uh, but there's, you show up, you get your homework package. It's like five lessons already prepared. They were going to be the five lessons I did with everybody because most people get a five-hour package. Instead, I just recorded them and sent them to you, and now... I use the advanced poker training bots uh, to simulate different games and, like, try to put you in situations and see what you do and just kind of keep exposing you to it. This player does this. What do you think? This player does this. No, repetition, repetition. Because if I say it to you once, you're not going to get it. If I say it to you twice, you're not going to get it. But I know if you hear me say it to you 20 times and you start getting in the flow of things and you play a tournament out in hyperspeed, you're going to start getting it. You're going to start getting that muscle memory. And I... The last couple of weeks, I've really been taking pride in it. Just like I worked hard for this. I worked very hard to be prepared for every lesson, have my students satisfied uh, with my services and not trying to be cocky about it, but trying to, I think the, I think the difference is you want to be confident, but not cocky. And I think you have to take pride in your work ethic. Not, I don't think you should say I'm so smart because anybody who's worked really hard at anything has been exposed as an idiot a million times. You cannot be good at anything without having OCD to some degree. And if you have OCD to some degree and you're a high performer, you're going to see a million mistakes. So 
the second you start telling yourself you're smart, you're going to have overwhelming evidence to the contrary. But what do you think of that? Just taking pride in your work ethic, taking pride in yourself and looking more for like value oriented motivation as opposed to because trying to not make a mistake is not the same as getting the most out of a situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Let me let me. Move. Yeah, I think the key thing is it comes back to just focusing on the process because that's the only thing you can control and your work ethic and how many hours you're putting in, and what you're putting into mm-hmm. those hours. Because, like I touched on it last episode or the pre- episode previous, I mean. I genuinely don't even think 800 years is enough, Alex, to see the long run. It's, <laughs> right. it's true, because if that guy's running, however, below expectation, there'll be other guys that are running, you know, right. so many hundred percent over, and there'll be guys somewhere, wherever, that's even worse. So 800 years of life to it is still not enough. And that's when, I, can't, I think it was Keynes, the famous economist, that said, you know, in the long run, we're all dead. And there's nothing truer than, <laughs> you know, there's nothing truer than that in poker in terms of you could play all these live events and whatever and you could never get your trophy that we spoke about or your bracelet right. or your big comedy check for 800,000 euros or whatever. <laughs> and you've got to be fine with that, you know. And I think what That's it does exactly right. Yeah, it, it gets a lot of these people in poker. It, it naturally attracts, you know. Back in the day, you know, I would consider myself... I wouldn't say I was lazy. I, when I've got my teeth into things I really enjoy, I get OCD over. I throw myself. It consumes me. So I was never lazy, but I would look for shortcuts because that worked right. in business in terms of, like, efficiency and looking for things and how can I do this better and, like, cut cut out the middleman, etc. and whatever. But poker and similar games, there are no shortcuts. And that's what you've got to, I think the shortcut is learning there's no shortcuts and just putting in the work. And rather than saving right. yourself five years of going around on like a hamster wheel sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you've got to give up thinking, if I keep playing the Sunday Million every week, I'm going to win it eventually. Well, you play it every week, there's 52 times you played it. Right. You play it in 10 years, it's 520 games. In tournaments that are five, six thousand runners, I mean, really, five hundred of them. You think that's a sample? It's not, you know. So it's, it's funny you use that. Did you ever end up reading my book, Barry? It's it's okay if you didn't. No, no, no. I've I've got your book, and then uh, I've not read. I gave one away. I remember I gave one in the conference. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I gave one in the well, in, No, I've not read it yet. No. The Myth of Poker Talent, by the way, is not the book I wanted to write. It was the book. I felt I had to write because I felt somebody was going to write that book at some point, just the combinatorics guide. And I just wanted to be the guy who did it. It's, it's, I get, I, it's a little bit of an ego thing, but I wanted to do it. I knew it was going to be a ton of work, but I knew I could do it. But one of the things I put in that book, and I don't think a lot of people got to it because if you think that book wasn't fun to read, it really was not fun to write. It was just work, work, work constantly, not no real fun, no real like getting, I, I wrote a few things just for fun because it just it was such a slog to get through everything else. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was deep in that book was a PokerDope.com analysis of a guy with a 40% ROI playing the Sunday Million every Sunday for 10 years. Does not miss it. Never goes on a vacation with his family. Right? <laughs> Never calls in sick. Doesn't miss it for 10 years. That guy, positive ROI. Uh, I think it was... Uh, I think it was like... <laughs> I think it was four times out of ten he had a negative ROI. 
or something. I can't remember what it was. I think it was half the time. Yeah, it was half the time. He didn't have, he didn't make money, period. And by the way, one time out of 100, he effectively won the damn thing twice, right? And all we see is that tip of the iceberg, that one guy out of 100, right? Or that one guy out of 1,000. And we grade ourselves based on that. And you said something that I loved. It's all about the process. They were talking about bringing it back to this book, which which I just wolfed down in two days. They were talking about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's kind of a... He was this maverick quarterback who won two Super Bowls with two different teams, which is really hard to do because uh, it's like learning two different militaries and marshalling them. And he won one of them when he was about to turn 40. And they were saying when he was working at uh, – when he was the quarterback at his university, he uh, – at one point he said, hey, guys, i got to re- return some game tapes like after he graduated. And they literally went out to his car and pulled out – 10 garbage bags full of game tapes that he had watched, right? He would turn on the headlights to his truck and be up till four in the morning running, you know, running drills on the football field every night. And they were saying the reason he did that is because he loved to do it. He just loved it. Like he didn't, I, I honestly don't think a lot of these guys think about winning as much as people think, right? They always do that like, Oh, you gotta want to win. You gotta hate to lose. Be a fierce competitor. But there's lots of guys that I think they just love the process more than anything, and they know they're gonna get their fair share of wins if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of competitors I know who are very gracious after a loss because they just love the whole process of going there. And honestly, if they left nothing on the field, they've got nothing to be ashamed of. So why would they care, right? I almost see it as a mark of immaturity. I, if you make a mistake and you're going to be hard on yourself and you're going to go drill yourself, like, by all means, I think that's very mature. But if you're just going to be upset at yourself and go sulk, I think that's very immature. I think that's also, uh, I, I, I think that's a great way to excuse yourself from the hard work. Look, it's okay I made a mistake because I'm sulking so much, right? It's almost as bad as blaming other people. Like, just blaming yourself and doing nothing doesn't lead to anything, right? Yeah. But yeah. if you leave everything out on the field, and then, or if you leave everything out on the felt, and you run bad, and then you're sulking as you leave, my my whole thing is like, what, did you expect to win every poker tournament you played? Did you really, it, again, in the long run, we're all dead. That's a great phrase, right? And... I really just, I'm falling in love with the process. I, I, they, I, everybody I'm talking to now wants to know how to lose weight, right? Because I lost 50 pounds in about a year. And people just keep saying, like, why? How did you do that, right? And I, I, t- I tell everybody I weighed myself, I'm not even making this up, maybe 10 times during that entire process. I've weighed myself once in the last six months. I've actually put on weight with muscle. But... I never sit again, like negative reinforcement is a really bad thing, which is like, you can't have these things. You can't do this anymore. Right. And you have to go work out as opposed to, I want to go work out because I feel better. Like, do you want to feel amazing? Go for a walk, go for a run. Do you want to have a spiritual experience? Try dropping, you know, cutting out (laughs) gluten and sugar for a couple of weeks. You will have, you will go someplace mentally you have never gone before. I'm not going to say that place is without pain, but yeah, I was doing a fasting thing for a while. That 
that was very different. That took my mind to a different plane for a while. And, but I looked at it as, oh, look, I get to do these things, right? Once I shifted to just eating lean proteins with fish and vegetables all the time, my mind, I felt great, right? I felt amazing. Whereas people act like these forbidden things are so terrible. Like, I mean, it's so terrible to lose them. We have to trust our feelings at some point. Like, I know they say don't trust your feelings because that'll lead you to make some decisions that you won't like. Well, there's some feelings that morph over time, and we know they're going to morph. Uh, if you're going to go eat a donut, we know the first five minutes of that feeling is going to be amazing, right? Let's all be honest. Eating a donut is pretty fun, right? But, like, the 15, 20 minutes after that, it you feel terrible. And then for the rest of the day, there's, like, a residual effect. How about, why don't you go eat something that you love that tastes really good? You know, like, a frozen banana, if you blend it, will taste just like ice cream, right? You know, still not the greatest thing in the world for you. But no one's ever, it, you don't eat a banana and it's as bad for you as a donut, right? And replace it with that. It'll still be sweet. It'll still be amazing. And you'll feel a little better for the rest of the day. So it starts good and it gets better as opposed to it starts great and, and then it nosedives. We have to trust ourselves understanding where our feelings are in the process. I, uh, I, I'm not even thinking of the money anymore. The money's helping me out a little bit more now. My business is growing. I'm super grateful for that because honestly in New York you need that. Uh, but once I stopped thinking about the money, the money started coming because all I'm thinking about now is it's so fun to be in that zone. In that zone, like, yeah, it's tiring at the moment, but the residual effect, like, the entire weekend just glows when you've been working for that weekend the entire time. The outing you put together with your uh, significant other, it just glows because you thought of it ahead of time, you scheduled for it, you worked hard enough for the money. The, the, the sport event you go to with your friends or you go to by yourself just to relax, it just glows because you earned it. Mm -hmm. And I think trusting that process is, like aside from the money, aside from the greatness, aside from what people are going to recognize in you, it's just good for your soul. It's good for how you feel every day. And that's, I've been focusing on that a lot more and I'm feeling like my depression leave a little bit more. I do have OCD, like I, and one of, the, one of the problems with OCD is frequent disturbing thoughts, pervading disturbing thoughts. That's actually, when I'm working really hard, they'll come up and I'll go like, I'll go away. Like I, I don't, I, it's not that I have the energy to get rid of them. It's I don't have the energy, right? I've gotten out all that nervous energy mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm too busy busting my ass. I don't have time for you right now, the, the, the doubter in my head. People send me nasty emails, and I just go, yeah, that's a, okay. You know, like, good for you. Like, uh, mute. And I move on. Whereas if I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm laying around a little too much, or I get slothful with my work. And you can become slothful with your work, right? You can just, you, you can work and not progress on anything. You can just be playing poker all day, like, at a crappy game. Or you can be answering emails all day. Tim Ferriss talks about this all the time, right? Like, you can be really lazy while staying business the whole time. Whereas, if you're attacking things that scare you, 
eventually you're going to get that glow. Eventually you're going to feel really good. And I've been looking for that a little bit more lately, and I've really been enjoying it. Good, good. It sounds, you know, it sounds like you're in a good place anyway. And I think the key is, it's just, there's no secret again. It's like people look for this complicated strategy or whatever. It's like, if you've got things on a to-do list, once you do them and start doing them, no matter how many, how much small little bits you get done at each time, it really adds up, makes a difference, and then it's done. And then you go, oh, that's no longer in my list. You know, it's like... If right. you actually just put the work in, you've got it's action. It comes down to action, and I definitely understand what you're saying about when I work hard, you know, for a few days in a row, and go right. If I've got something at the weekend or another day that I'm going to just whether I go down with my brothers and you know play FIFA there on the PlayStation or something or do whatever, I do all that and enjoy that much more if I know that I've done a load this week. Going well, you know what I can't do it 24-7 because that doesn't lead to happiness either you know mm-hmm. so you definitely enjoy the other moments whereas me and my girlfriend we were t- talking about this actually it's like she's self-employed and it's just when you don't have anything to do you don't really get that when you're self-employed there's almost there's always something you to do or maybe yeah. not to do there's always something you could be doing when you're self-employed so it's being okay with that uneasiness of going wow, like, I'm sitting here just watching a screen, like, doing nothing, and I'm, I don't have my laptop open, or I don't have a pen and paper, or I'm not fretting about responding to some email, or getting on top of stuff. It's like almost your body just getting used to two hours or three hours of doing nothing work-related, and just right. literally being in the moment, and it's weird. I think I think for anybody listening to this that's self-employed will relate to that, and um even people that aren't self-employed that are really into their poker or other hobbies and they're working on it, maybe they're at work, like, always thinking about poker and always thinking about how they can improve their poker game or working, you know, we've got lots of listeners here that put hours and hours in away from the table. And, but there is a point where the brain needs to, and the body needs to sort of step away from that and really actively, like you say, doing some recreation or... Whether, whether it's going for a walk or if you're working out at gyms or going to cinema or anything like that where you're literally away from it, even for a couple of hours. And we talked about this before. A lot of these top guys, performers and traders and everything, they say the best ideas they get come to them in the, in the shower, in the bath or driving yes. the car or whatever when you're not fully on it because you've sort of gave yourself the space to do it. I think it's dangerous. Like You've touched on it with your OCD and thoughts and... A friend of mine recently was telling me about that. They they were diagnosed, they were having severe anxiety and they were diagnosed with uh, OCD and they said that was, you know, it's like your OCD about everything. So that includes when you're having thoughts, you get very, they're again and again and you're, they're on top of you and it's negative thoughts mm-hmm. and it's almost like you're making yourself do it and so it's weird, you know. It's really weird how the body and mind can get to these places when on the face of it, all you're trying to do is things that are really positive and constructive, but in the background, I think it's just the nature's way of telling you to slow down a bit and um, mm-hmm. manage manage it all better, manage your your space better. Like your workspace should be, you know, a bit more organised and cleaner and um, 
looking after your body, etc. I do. I think it's all messages for the good when you look at it. But I know that in the in the moment it can be overwhelming and uh, really on top of people and stressful. You know. And uh, you bring up an interesting. If I can help anybody with, I don't really talk about OCD much on this show because it's not really something I'm super proud of. Like I, I'm not proud of. I, I have to check that the door is locked five times before I leave the house and stuff like that. And I'll open my suitcase to check that my medication is there three or four times before I leave on a trip. But if I've learned anything is one OCD can be a superpower. I, there is no chance to me. Any high performer in any sport does not have OCD. You are not going to be running two a days unless you're just absolutely obsessed. It's not going to happen. And I honestly, I feel really bad for a lot of poker players that don't have it because my attention to detail has kept me relevant in this game for 12 years. And there's a lot of guys that are really passionate and have incredible attention to detail and have more talent and more intelligence than I'll ever have. But after that passion wanes the third year in, they've got none of it. They've got, and they can't summon it. I have no choice. And that, that is annoying because there's a lot of times I'd like to turn my mind off for a few seconds and enjoy a TV show like, uh, uh, like normal people, but I can't do it. Not, I'll bet you, I think Phil Ivey said in interviews that he can't watch television. He can't do it. To me, there's no chance that's not OCD. There is no chance on God's green earth, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you just have to look at what do uh, OCD performers do that I don't do? And how did they get over that? Well, Phil Ivey, I've heard, barely ever drinks. Um, there is a... they In every one of these, I read more sports biographies than anyone because I've been really into high performance the last year or two. A really high percentage of these guys do not drink alcohol, period. Like, will not touch it. And they're not weird about it. They just go, no, I don't like it. Doesn't agree with me, right? Because they know, because they have OCD, the second they get into it, it's going to be forever, right? A lot, of them, a lot of them don't like sleeping eight hours because they wake up after eight hours and they feel like, I've wasted a bunch of the day, right? And a lot of people are going to tell you, oh, you know, that's bad. You need to get eight hours of sleep. And you know what? I just don't buy that. I just don't buy that. Sleep hygiene is different for everyone. There's a group of people genetically who sleep less, right? I can't tell you how many successful men I know who go, you know, the weird thing about me, I got to be up at seven every morning. I can't even sleep in on the weekends. How many times have you heard that, Barry, from a guy you respect? Yeah. Uh, all the time, right? It's weird we don't note that, right? Yet if you tell anybody like, yeah, I sleep six hours a night, everybody just is on your ass. It's taken me until my 30th birthday to realize I'm not a guy who can sleep eight hours a night. If I do that, I'm anxious the entire day. If I sleep six hours, I wake up, I'm a little, I'm a little tired, but as long as I'm in good shape and I'm taking care of my body, I'm fine, right? But if, I, if I'm, and I'm actually a little excited for the day. I'm not, because look at me, I got two hours on everybody, right? And uh, that two hours adds up. Two hours times five, that's another 10-hour workday that nobody else is getting, right? And you can use that to invest in your relationship or to invest in poker or something like that. Uh, the other thing 
that's really interesting to me is all these elite performers like will not, they don't allow these negative thoughts into their head, which is not to say they don't try to argue with them. They don't, you, you have to like not be threatened by them. You just have to go, my mind is a TV blathering in the background. And you know, I am not the product of my genetics and my parents. That's it. That I do not accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, Thousands of stories of people coming from awful backgrounds and doing amazing things to the fact I think it can almost be used as a strength, right? But the one thing is I have disturbing thoughts every day, all day. And what I do is if I give that thought a bunch of attention, like, oh, my God, why do I have that thought? It's going to stay there, right? Whereas if I just go whatever and I repeat to my or you can say to yourself like thanks brian that that that, that was real sweet I, I i really appreciate that right now right you can uh and by the way this is something i'm i, th- I think it's called the happiness trap i think that bu- it's from that book it's also from uh the confidence gap uh one writer writes a lot about this but you, you can go like okay thank you for that i really appreciated that brian and then uh but if you just, like, nod off or say to yourself, sometimes I just say mantras to myself. I repeat all the things I've done in life until I feel unstoppable, right? And I find with most people, you can find some pretty amazing things you've done. A lot of people, when they're put into a, like, uh, they, they're, put into, they're put into a corner, they will find a way out. And they, they, you need to remember those times, all those times you do it. And if you repeat to yourself five or ten times you do it, you'll go, you know what, I do have that work ethic. And you know what, damn it, if I stick to the process, it's all going to work out. And the, another thing, if you have OCD, guys, work, exercise, 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 exercise. You, and don't do it for abs. Don't do it for your health. Do it to cleanse your mind. Your mind will think so much clearer if just this morning, I've worked out every day this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And it's not because I love waking up after six hours. This morning, I wanted nothing more than to sleep in. But you know what? After you sweat it out for about an hour, um, I think after, like every thought is clearer. And when those pervading thoughts come in, you're a little stronger. You can go, oh, whatever. You feel stronger because you know what? Damn it. I woke up at six this morning. I made my bed. I did the dishes. And I worked out. What does this thought have on me? Screw you. Whereas if you slept in late, you had a donut when you woke up, you you don't really have that. You do that for yourself. You do it. Like, I don't, whenever there's dishes in the sink, I don't do that for the other people in the house. I clean them because then I get to be the guy who always cleans the dishes when they're in the sink. I'm a finisher. I'm a cleaner. I take care of things. And if I have overwhelming evidence to that every day, I get to be that guy. And you get to feel it, right? And you want to feel it. You don't do it for other people. You do it for yourself. That's the big thing. And you, and the other thing is you can't be afraid of what other people think because, let's be honest, let's take this to poker. 95% of poker players do not make money, period. So I want you to remember anybody criticizing you, 19 out of 20 of those people on that forum do not make money at poker. They lose money at poker every year, but they stay in that. Why is that? That's because they are comfortable with being a loser. They are comfortable with being a loser. And I have nothing to say and nothing to discuss with someone like that. 
I have yeah. nothing to discuss. And it was, the other thing is, there was another story. I, I'm just going to rant. Sorry, guys. You're getting it all today. Uh, if you guys have extra questions, I'll start answering them on my YouTube channel. But I got Barry here, and Barry always has great thoughts to add to this. You know, for the two minutes and 46 seconds, I let him talk every episode. But I was one of the smartest things I read, again, in this book, the QB, was this guy... This, there was this quarterback coach. He, played, he was a quarterback for two years in the CFL, right? Didn't have much of a pro career, but he's a hard worker. He wasn't that gifted. He wasn't that talented. He wasn't that physically gifted, but he worked his ass off to get a starting job in the CFL, right? And all these big quarterbacks loved him because he could teach you little things about holding the ball, your stride, your leverage that would just make the the ball pop, the ball zing, right? And he would just give you control. So anyway, he goes on this field to train a few of these guys, and one of uh, the NFL coaches says, like, you know, hey, hey, you know, nice to see you, right? Because he's working out on the same field. And then this this boy starts tweeting crap about this other coach, like, oh, I'm seeing this guy work out. Oh, it's pretty pathetic how he's using that. The other coach, one of his assistants, brings it up to him. So the guy holds his phone and goes up to him, hey, telephone tough guy. You got something to say to me? And the guy and the guy said, you know, the guy starts saying like I think it's BS that you know, you get put on the same panels as me and anything. And the guy said one of the smartest things I've ever heard, which is you get what you put into this business and I guarantee you but but I guarantee you doing this adds nothing. This is just wasted time. And anybody who's talking not only not only are they doing nothing, they're not getting what they put in. Like, poker is the most logical thing in the world. The more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. There is no physical barriers. There is no, there is no uh, advisory board keeping you from anything. There's nothing like that. It's the harder you work, it does not matter. Your ethnicity, your sexual preference, your sex, any of that, it does not matter. The harder you work in this game, the more you will get out of it. And if somebody is complaining, that is a loser. Somebody is giving you something, giving you crap, that is a loser. That person does not deserve to speak to you. And do not let that person get in your mind for even a second, because they do not deserve to be in a mind such as yours. You are an elite performer if you have OCD. Accept it. Embrace it. Work harder. Wake up earlier. Do more. Do not deny yourself. That is what's causing the stress. Okay, um... If my next student, I still haven't talked to my next student. He hasn't talked to me yet. He's supposed to be here right now, but we can keep going until he shows up. You got a question for me, Barry? Yeah, let's yeah, let's go into this. Yeah, let's do that. Let's. Okay. Sorry, I'll mute it. I'll mute it. Go ahead. This one's from Tyler. Uh, hey, Alex. This hand is from two years ago in an eleven hundred dollar buy-in live tournament with no antes throughout the tournament. I had 13 big blinds, 10 away from the money. The chip leader of the tournament was to my direct right and was min-raising every hand and nobody was calling. He min-raises under the gun and I looked down at ace-jack suited under the gun plus one. I decided I would shove here with the intention of taking it down right there. He snapped, he snapped with kings and I was out. I'm wondering if this was a good shove with my 13 big blind stack with no anti-structure and what would be our min-shove holding. Thanks and good luck in Atlantic City, brother Tyler. So this one was obviously sent before you played Borgata. Yeah, nice needle, Tyler. <laughs> nice <throw. Yeah. laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
but, uh, sorry. Geek laugh. You got the geek laugh out of me. But uh, T- Tyler, I'm really glad you asked me this question because we got to talk. You know damn well this is a good shove. You know damn well. Everybody listening to this knows it's a good shove. If the guy's raising every hand, Ace-Jack suited is a great shove, right? Now, a lot of people are going to go, oh, what about ICM? And it's like, well, if there's a bunch of guys with, like, one or a couple big blinds, like, I see maybe a full, but I'm not folding, right? The other thing is, look, I, I'm sorry, like, the, the hard truth is most of you are not going to make a living at poker. Most of us are not going to make a living at poker. We're going to play this game. Uh, we're going to play this game for recreation most of the time. And if you're playing for recreation and you're close on one of these ICM spots, the min cash is likely not going to change your life. And furthermore, most of you guys, when you tell me ICM, I go, this is a garbage fold. So I just don't want you guys thinking that. Take courses in ICM, right? I took a course in ICM. I'm amazed how little I use it. It kind of makes me mad because I spent a lot of time on it. But it's most of the guys that, how many guys do you know who are always railing about ICM on the forums, Barry, are really good poker players? I don't really look at the forums or anything. Yeah, okay, but back anything. when you were really into it, can you remember? Yeah, yeah, lots of people, but yeah, you don't yeah, know who I, they are or whatever. They're spending their time in forums, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's, uh, Dennis is the first guy I heard say telephone tough guy, but yeah, you know, like telephone tough yeah. guy, like texting tough guy, right? Keyboard <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, keyboard warriors. But that's why I just I don't pay attention to anything, man. Like I just I, it's just noise. At the end of the day, like you know, so and so said this about you, and I'm like, and who are they? Like I don't I don't care. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, if you are really successful and you're taking time out of your day to crap on me, you must not feel that successful. I don't I don't take time to take shots at other poker coaches. I'm doing way better than. I want them to be successful because I'm not intimidated by them. We offer different products. They're not my competitors. You probably could learn from them as well as me. Who should you hire between both of us? Hire both. Unless, like, the guy's just clearly trying to take your money. Most of you guys will learn something. And I fully admit who's better than me. Why why is this such an issue for so many people? But, yeah, uh... I'll tell you why this guy's having doubts. If you're around your grab-ass buddies, a lot of times they want to sound like they know something about poker that they don't, so they bring up the ICM says you shouldn't do that. Anytime someone says that, do not be afraid to go, why? Why? If you want to learn nothing else, if you learn nothing else from me, just always ask people, show me the evidence. That's a Tim Ferriss thing. They asked him, you know, if you wish you could teach yourself anything when you were younger, what would it be? Right? And he said, show me the evidence every single time. And that changed my life, Barry. There are ICM calculators. There's three of them. Get all the readouts. Right? I'll, be, I'll bet you all of them, if you put opening range there 40%, it's going to be like, oh, my God, get it in. Right? Every single one of them. Now, if his opening range was like 15% and there was a bunch of guys with like 2X, like, yeah, by all means, full. But you know this guy's not opening that tight. There's no chance he's folding 5-7 suited there. There's no chance he's folding Jack-10 off, right? He's, he's the big stack. He's going for it, right? The, the, the thing I'm worried about, Tyler, is you're still thinking about this two years later. That's what I'm worried about. Tomorrow's another day. And furthermore, working hard is the reward. 
feeling in it, like ruminating is such a bad place to be in. You know what I mean, Barry? Definitely. Like, it's better just to be doing anything. It's better just to be, like, whenever I'm having, like, thoughts I don't like, I just grab a book. That's why I'm such a voracious reader. It's not because I'm, I'm disciplined or any of that crap. I just start skimming a book. I start reading it and I find myself drifting off, going back to my thoughts, and I don't like it. I toss the book away. So I have, you know, I have like 10, 20 books next to my bedstand. I probably read the first 20 pages of 90% of them, 40. And then, you know, if it's not getting me going, I just leave it, right? And then you just get out of your head a little bit. And if you're in your head about this jam, why don't you get out of your head and go into some calcs, right? Just get some information, find some evidence. And if that's not doing it for you, go play. Just get involved. Do something. Good luck to you, Tyler. You didn't do anything wrong, buddy. Okay. Chin up. That, that reminded me about a question. I, I'm going to ask you, Alex. There, just a situation. I, it happened to me last tournament I played. At the end of day one, there was like three hands left, and a guy had 19 big blinds, and he decided that wasn't enough to come back for on the second day <laughs> and um, he literally says okay I'm going all in like, and he put his chips in before the cards were dealt to him and that was obviously wow. you know, that was going to be binding um, so he's all in blind and it came round and it came round and I had eight and I had 54 big blinds at the time and I was going to call um, and it folded to the guy before me and he went all in for about 45 big blinds and then I folded and then the next guy folded and the guy next to me had kings the guy before me and then the guy that went all in had something like jack four or something like that and he didn't he didn't improve and he, he busted out the tournament but I was going to say I've seen that a couple of times in live tournaments and um, not necessarily just at the end of day ones and stuff but a guy just decides you know I'm, I'm sticking them in blind here sort of thing and it's not just a a stroke, you know, uh, or uh, you see them actually put their chips in before the cards are dealt to them, so you know they it's unseen. What's your sort of call off there in terms of, let's say you're playing a forty big blind stack and it's twenty big blinds to call? I uh, my calling off when the guy rejams. Yes, yeah, let's for 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 no, I mean I don't mean when the guy rejams. Say the a guys went all in blind for twenty big blinds, okay. And all the action folds. Everyone folds. You're in the big blind to, to make it easier. It all folds to you. What do you call there with? There's no more action in front of you after the guy in blind, and there's nobody else behind you. What's your? You're playing a forty big blind stack, and someone's jammed nineteen twenty big blinds blind. They they're unseen the cards. Uh, sorry, sorry if I didn't understand you right away i was doing that real jackass thing where i wasn't listening to you i was preparing my response <laughs> yeah. which i'm really good at by the way that's one of those things as you get older you realize like i am such an ass yeah. right like i'm listening i'm listening to my girlfriend i'm like preparing my response like what i want to share in the conversation i'm like why don't you try listening to her dude she might appreciate that you know <laughs> like and then uh our What's the other thing I wanted to say? The other thing, actually, on that topic, first of all, my opinion of when people shove, they're like just any two cards. Um, it's funny, I used to chortle at that, but now when I see pros like making fun of that guy, I'm just be I'm getting really into my libertarian crap now, which is it's not my right to judge anybody. 
I have no right. It's their money. They can do whatever they want. I have no right to judge your sexual history or to judge your uh, sexuality. I have no right to judge anything about you. I have no idea. That's the other thing. As you get older, you just realize you know nothing, right? Mm-hmm. My, uh, I have a friend. He's gay. Brilliant. Um, once in a while, I just don't get him, right? I just I don't understand what's the problem with he, what he's talking about. And when I was younger, I'd always try to ascribe meaning to this word or that word. And now I find as you get older, you're a lot happier when you go, I don't know. And it's not my business. Why am I thinking about this, right? And it's the same thing in poker. In poker, if you're just judging everybody's behavior as opposed to preparing an adequate strategy for it, you're going to be just hating life here in a few minutes, right? Because it is... If you want a if you want a truly maddening job, and this is coming from as close to a data scientist as we have in poker, try to understand human behavior. It, you will lose your mind. It, it's just not going to happen, right? Now, uh, that being said, oh, oh, I just realized my next uh, my next client's not till two, Barry. So we've had time this whole time. I showed up. <laughs> Nice. I was like, why isn't this guy writing me or writing me back? Like, for what some, a jerk. For someone with OCD, you, you're always late and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, man, right? because I'm too, I'm too <laughs> <laughs> You also forgot I'm really, really dumb. Don't, don't forget that. But, uh, no, uh, well, I, there's not a whole lot I can do about a train stopping twice, right? That's, no. a, that's the great thing about New York. The trains will work perfect for 10 or 11 days and you'll start getting used to it and you'll be like, I can cut out at 10.30 as opposed to 10.15. You are screwed every time you do that, right? But if you cut out at 10.15, you will show up 20 minutes late early to an appointment every single time, right? But yeah, no, I misread something. I'm going too damn fast. But yeah, anyway, about that, what's my calling range? Fives? Yeah. Any ace? King eight suited? Queen, uh... No, king king seven suited, king six suited, okay. queen eight suited, jack nine suited, uh, ten nine suited. I'm trying to win the tournament. I'm trying. That, that's the other thing right now is. Uh, I think one of the things people really like about the one outer podcast, Barry, is we're honest. Right, we're just trying to be honest, and the honest thing is, most people who make a living, quote unquote, from poker, do not have a tenth of the money you think they have. Um, and the real joy of this game is playing for the hell of it. If you want a final table, like Barry, how much would a final table mean to you versus how much would a min cash mean to you? Not, not really any difference just now. Really? Okay. I love, I love final tables. I can't lie. I just, they get me going in a way. Yeah, well, the last live tourney I played, I cashed 20th for 400 and it was a 225 buy-in. And ninth, the jump up was like 500, you know, it was like, I don't know, 800 for ninth or 900. First was 10K. You see, so. you, see you don't get it, Barry. You're still thinking of the money. Yeah, but it's like, I, if I'd never been to a final table before, then maybe. But yeah, I think I've been to enough final tables where I go out sixth or fifth or whatever as well. So I know what you're saying. I know your point, and I'm pissing on it. But uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I get, don't get me wrong. Okay, like, Let's use the pinnacle, the World Series main event. Yeah, I'd rather final table it than night, and not because of the money, like the prestige as well and stuff. So, um, and 
it is a lot more fun game when you're just nine left and it's knockout. Definitely, I I see what you're saying, but um, that's I mean I wouldn't adopt adopt or adjust my play from twenty players into nine to try and just eke into the final table or anything. You know, I I want to go to the final right, table with right. chips. Of course, yeah. of course, there's a. Uh... Something I've been talking about, uh, the myth of poker talent was my, like, that that was as close to a science as I'd ever gotten with poker, right? And But to me, the, the meta of poker is very fascinating, and I think we all know the style we want to get to. We know where that is, right? But we let all these other competing thoughts get in the way, which is, to me, I think most of us know... This is not our vocation. This is not a calling for most of us. Uh, this is a this is a damn good time though, and it's really funny to play. It's real fun to play for big money, and I think if you got an edge, you go with it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not going to act like okay. When I was playing the WSP main event, I did not have a dime with 200 people on out uh, before the before I cashed, right? And I used every, you know, and I, I had to, I had to drop, couldn't open suited aces. I couldn't open eights from early position. I couldn't rejam uh, nines versus one particular early position opener. Uh, I couldn't rejam ace queen off versus one guy because the rejam was like maybe barely profitable, but with so many short stacks with 54 people left to go. And, you know, eventually I had 22x. I was grinding it out, right? Mm-hmm. I just couldn't get it in. It was, like, it was like the most boring five hours of my life, Barry. This was also when I was 250 pounds, and I was just, you know, presumably just shoving nachos into my face on every break, you know, crying tears. Uh, <laughs> and it was, uh, it was, uh, but I just, it, it just sucked, you know what I mean? And, like, yeah, that that made a lot of sense because my stack was worth $4,400 or whatever it was worth, right? Yeah, Six, yeah. 6K. And min cash was 14 right? So, by all means, double your real money expectation and lock it up if there's all these people with one big blind who think they're somehow going to outlast 50 people, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if the short stacks aren't doing, like, if there's not, like, wildly short stacks, and the money, a min-cash isn't that consequential to you. Like, you should be trying to wrap up min-cashes if you're playing 60 tournaments a day online. But if you're playing one live tournament every couple of weeks, uh, <laughs> by, by, by all means, gamble. Like, you have an edge, gamble. Go for, the, go for first. Go for the experience. Like, go, go for the trophy. Go, go for it. And I, I think... Uh, when the guy re-isos there, I'm totally fine with you folding eights, by the way. That's a... One, one other idea I, I wanted to get through here. Okay, I'm going to bring it back to that book, the QB, one more time. <laughs> there was a QB coach in that book who was just the hustler coach, right? Took $600,000 from one quarterback uh, to, like, get him to the next level. And essentially, he had, like... He had a system he could put you in that made you look really good in high school, and that would get you a college scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was actually a good investment. You know, you, if you had money, 
you, you spend 50000 on getting your kid to be a really good quarterback within a specific system, and then you got a $200,000 scholarship to a university, you just made one hundred and fifty k, right? And your kid gets to always put college quarterback in his application, right? Well, this guy just decided he was going to make as much money as possible, and he just kind of, his original client, the kid, the kid was selected because he could do backflips, right? So he said, every time you throw a touchdown, I want you to do a backflip so you'll make it on ESPN, right? So I can say you're my client <laughs> to give you an idea of who this guy is, right? And uh, anyway, he, uh, his original client said, like, he just tells people you're going to be the next star, and then after you spend all this money on him, he, he just moves on, right? Well, let's make it clear right now for the One Outer podcast, okay? Let's be clear about what coaching can and can't do. Coaching can get you to the top one percentile. Now, what you need to know, getting to the top one percentile is very powerful. Can that get you a WSOP main event win? Yes. Yes. I would argue many of the people who've won the WSOP main event were not in that top one percentile, which I'm pretty sure I can get you to in five hours. In fact, I have devoted my entire consultancy to that premise, and my new webinar is all about that. Now, here's what you need to know, and I, I, I just realized I haven't gone through this on the show, and I, I think Barry and I were talking about variants a little bit earlier, so I think we need to talk about this a little bit more. Being it, I would say I'm like in the 99.5th percentile, right? The difference between 99.1th percentile, where I can get you really quickly, and 99.5th percentile is like 10 years. It's, it's like you said, the only shortcut is realizing there's no shortcuts. You get, you, I can give you every shortcut in the book and you'll play a really solid game and you won't get in trouble, but is that going to get you to that next level? Probably not. It's going to give you a very solid game and you will get a lot of experience deep in tournaments and then you'll start working hard on the subtleties, right? It's like a black belt, but like, wh what degree of black belt do you want? If you want the true master, you got to listen to every one of these one-hour episodes twice. you got to listen to the Thinking po Poker podcast every single one of them twice. Uh, you got to watch every training video you can. you got to be watching game film every day. got to read every poker book. you got to be playing constantly. And by the way, you think like, oh, Alex is in the 99.5th percentile. He must be making a ton of money. If I came back to professional poker, my salary would probably be between forty to 60000 per year on average. And that's actually pretty good given I've probably consulted more professional poker players than anybody I know, that's actually pretty good money up to like 60K, right? And if you're making that money in Thailand or Costa Rica or Eastern Europe, you're just the lord of the castle. And you get, you get the thrill of competing every day. Now, how much variance is going to be in that? A ton, right? And the, the other thing you need to know is like, there's not a ton of money in the 99.5th percentile, 99.6. And there's a ton of variance up until you get to the 99.7. But getting to the 99.9 is where literally like 90% of the money goes to for professional poker players, right? And that's the only time you avoid variance. Once you get to the Doug Poke level, once you get to the, uh, the Isildur level, right? Those guys who could drop down to 25.50 and just maul everybody, every hand, right? It is so hard to get to that level. It needs to become a lifelong obsession. And like we said, tournament poker is the type of game I like the most because it's the most exciting. 
It has the most metagame ramifications. It requires you to run and gun. It's ex- I love how intense it is. I love the high-pressure situations. I, lo- I love just getting to f- feel that adrenaline rush when you're deep. But just so you know, like Barry said, 800 years isn't the long run. In the long run, we're all dead. So, have fun with it. And it just... <laughs> Do it for the love of it. Do it for the love of getting better. And you just might get into that 99.9 percentile. I bet, I would bet, how many of the high stakes guys do you really think cared about the money, Barry? Very few. Barry, it's funny. You just know it right off the bat once you think of it, right? Like, no way they cared. Like, there's no way Tom DeLon cares about the money. Or Phil Ivey, even, I doubt it, you know? Like, God, that's crazy. Phil Ivey was living in an apartment where they would shut off his electricity like every three weeks. Isn't that insane to think? Like for three years he was doing that. He did not make money the first two years. He he was a losing player the first two years he played. The third year he barely broke even. He did like one big interview with, uh, I think it was Bluff like in 2006. And I don't think he ever did another interview, right? That was the interview where they brought up like, so you're a video game prodigy, right? And he said, no, I never played video games ever. Somebody asked me in an interview once, do you play video games? And I said, yes. And then they started saying I was a video game prodigy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, and, like, I remember hearing that for, like, six years before he said that. And it just, yeah, it's a... He liked to miss Pac-Man. <laughs> I, I remember him playing that at Barry Greenstein's house on a video I saw on Poker Road one time. He was playing the Miss Pac-Man machine. He was really good at that, apparently. He was, oh, yeah? He was, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like Miss Pac-Man. I like vi- I like video games. I just never have time to yeah. play them. I, th- like- I think what's interesting as well, just going on what you were saying there, in terms of getting into that bracket and then the further 10 years, there's also things that come, like, it's the experience. Like you said there, like, I f- you know, 10 years ago when I first started playing, or 8, 9 years ago, I didn't have any sort of fear at all. I would just play these tournaments and do well, and, you know, I've lots of final tables locally, uh, won tournaments locally, etc. And then I started playing some of the bigger buy-in games um, out of town. And even then, when I first started playing the first two years, never had any fear at all or, you know, about anything. And then as I sort of started really experiencing variants and running a little bat, you know, and having your first big beats and stuff, then looking at the game and you get a bit muddled. I found myself, you know, playing these tournaments with more fear and uh, more, you know, conservative play and trying things that I wouldn't have done before and, you know, sort of like changing the way you would think, etc. And whereas I've sort of went full circle now, when I go and play a live tournament, I... I'm not just saying it or doing it. I'm literally buying in and playing to win it. I'm, you know, which is what you should do. It sounds, it sounds so obvious. You're playing a tournament. Of course you want to win it. But I can't be honest with myself and say some tournaments I entered five years ago, I wasn't playing. I maybe wanted to win it, but I wasn't playing to win it. Do you know what I mean? It was like I now definitely within the last two and a half, three years, I, I play to win. And I think a lot of that is because I don't need the money from poker anymore. I don't need, you know, I'm playing to win the tournament. And if it comes, it comes. But, you know, I was talking with, I I made a call on the bubble, like 21 players left, 20 paid. 
that pretty much crippled me down to 13 big blinds that I would never have made uh, a few years ago. And it turned out I was wrong and the guy had quite, but I didn't care because I think against that player and the way the hand played, it was still, you know, in that situation, all right, you had quads. But I, I, it, it's hard to explain. I didn't think, oh, you know, no, it's the bubble. I'm not making this cut or I'm not playing this. I went with what I thought and after thinking through the hand and etc. So I think there comes a point where you do, like once you've handed your money over at the cage and bought into that tournament, it's gone. You can't protect. If you want to protect that buy-in, don't play the tournament. If you want to hundred percent protect it, you know what I mean. It's like, or if you just want your money back, there's safer bets. If you just want to double your buy-in, then genuinely, I think a lot of players would be better just going. What's the tournament buy-in? Five hundred pounds. Okay, go and put it on black or red. You got a fifty-fifty ah. shot of doubling. I guarantee you that's better odds than you cashing in this tournament if you're not if you're going to be knitting up and feeling this way that you. You know, seriously, and it'll take you one one spin of a ball, less than thirty seconds, and you'll know. And then you can go and spend the rest of your day. You either double your buy-in or you lose it. You know, whereas you know, you want to protect your buy-in that way, or or just min cash. So not every time I play a poker tournament now, and a lot of that is to do uh, with learning from Alex and you know his materials, but also. I'm being honest, a lot of it is because I don't rely on the money anymore from poker. I, I'm i not playing just to make money. I'm playing for the fun of it and playing to, to win a tournament. Uh, my money, you know, I make my money, my bills from business now. So again, you know, which is what I enjoy doing. But mm. I definitely think there's a lot of people that are out there that are playing. And it, it comes back again to just another thing we bang on around. It's it's people that are playing under rolled. Uh, someone that's got, right. 20, you know, someone that's got a five k roll and they're playing five hundred pound buy in tournaments. Don't tell me that you're playing like the best poker you can play with twenty five players left and like four to the money or whatever. When your bankroll's ten buy ins in the game you're playing, it's just you have to be. There's some guys that can. They're so removed. You know that part of their brain is just. They're just degenerate. They can't, you know, like an Isildur, they don't care about the money remotely. But most people do care about the money, you know. And I, I think you should care about the money. I think in terms of being a professional and taking money off the table, you have to care about the money. Right. You know, but, but like I'm saying, not when it's invested, not when it's in play. You have to care about the money, like, sort of overall strategy, but not during the tournament. You can't care about the money during the tournament. You know, that's, that's what I think. I, uh, on that point really quickly, and then we'll wrap this up, but, uh, what I do with money, which I think it's taken me a long time to, long time to learn this money, by the way, makes no sense to me. I've had money since I was 18 years old. I, I turned pro when I was 18. Uh, I made good money before as a commercial fisherman. I, I also, I busted my ass through high school. I had jobs throughout high school and into my first year out of my house, right? Even as I finished up high school in another house, I, I was just, I, I had a little snowball. And then when I turned 18, I had, I worked as a commercial fisherman. I had money from security, uh, working security jobs. And then, then I had money from poker and I put it into a savings. And the only strategy that worked and this, this strategy is the only reason I'm still a pro today because my first five months as a pro were horrendous. Uh, you put all the money somewhere, you can't touch it, right? 
some high yield savings or something that takes a while to get it out or something like that. And you leave yourself enough money to gamble with. You play a limit high enough that it gets you going, but low enough that you can be completely fearless. But the whole name of the game is taking money off the felt. Just take the money off and forget it's there, right? Because to this day, like money does not make sense to me. I overextend myself more than I should uh, because I know I'm just going to work and get it back. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to be fine. And it's taken me till. Actually, I'm really glad I moved to New York because that strategy doesn't work in New York because everything is super expensive here. And I'm really glad I had to start taking care of my mom the last few years because you start realizing, like, hey, buddy, you got to be a little brighter with your money, right? Because there might, you don't ever want to have your mom call and go, like, hey, you know, hey, honey, I filled out a grocery order. Like, yeah, mom, sorry about that. You know, I put it all on red. Barry gave me some advice. <laughs> but, uh, I've never played roulette once in my life. But, oh, no, no, one time I did, like, as a joke. But uh, um, as a gag. But uh, something you were saying, uh, experience breeds fearlessness in a different form. There's a – it's funny. When I started playing, I was fearless, too, because I just – I I won from – or even – and then I – I had a really long downswing right when I went pro and I busted my ass and got out of it and moved up to higher six tournaments when I was 19. Right. And I mean, I'm sorry, like a 19 year old that had a downswing and then pu- pushes through it. He's going to be stupidly overconfident. Right. Cause I was, I noticed all the guys around me had never gone through a downswing. And when they did go through a downswing, Oh, I loved watching them g- go out of the industry. Right. Just knowing they weren't mentally tough, just knowing that was my best competition, that was the best they could come up with, and like they couldn't take a downswing, right? And uh, I was stupid overconfident, and there was something to learn from that time too, which was if someone opened ahead of me, I took it personally back then, because I knew I could open if it were folded to me, and I could make money from the pod. And that guy just took it from me, and I was pretty sure he didn't have much of a hand either, so I had more conviction about me when I played. I didn't care what other people thought. I would, if you want to open ahead of me, you might beat me this hand, but you're going to have to come through me. If you're going to keep stealing my cutoff, my hijack, my button, you're going to come through me. All right. You might beat me this hand, but you're not going to beat me over this year. You're going to have to deal with me. And I lost that as I got older, as I got complacent, as I started making more money. And as I became more worried about what other people thought, right? There's a lot of guys that just self-destruct because they don't want the pressure, right? There's a, there's a lot of people that, and there's a slow motion, there's a fast way to self-destruct, which is you go to jail for something you did drinking, and then you go, that's fine. Like, being in the cell is much better than having to take care of my entire corporate team and having everybody depend on me. And I know secretly deep inside I'm, I'm nursing this alcoholism and you know, my marriage isn't going well and da da da. So I just wanted to blow up and not have to deal with it anymore and sit in the cell. And then there's a slow motion way of dealing with it, which is you just check out, right? Which is what I did. A lot of the pressure came on. There was no winning anymore that meant anything to me. Um, Obviously I wanted to win, but it just, the money would just go so fast. You know, you split it with your backer then the tax man and then, you're probably spending a little too much in the situation you're in at that time, trying to make everybody happy, taking care of too many people. And it just every win felt like nothing. 
at every loss had everybody criticizing me. So you stop playing to win and you start, you start playing to not make a mistake. And you kind of sell, you know, instead of working out one morning, you smoke a little pot because you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll be, you know, maybe this will liberate me when I go play. Or maybe, you know, I'll take a couple days off. It's okay. You eat a little worse. And it just, that's a slow motion, like, get me out of this situation, right? Get, get me out of here. This will be better than all the pressure I'm under. And then it wasn't it, – it, something you said that really resonated with me. Five years ago when – or a few years ago, three, four years ago, three, when uh, I was playing more and it wasn't going well, I didn't really think about winning. I just wasn't trying to make a mistake. And, you know, things weren't going well in my personal life. Things weren't going well with my health. There was a lot of things I was really frustrated with. My game was stagnating. And I would just enter poker tournaments like because that was what I was supposed to do. It's not because I wanted to do it anymore. It's not because I wanted to win. Yeah. And I didn't I, I didn't I couldn't visualize myself winning because I let myself down every day. Do not think that doesn't have an effect on you. I wouldn't speak up for the things I believed in. I, I didn't work hard in my personal relationships. I let things go to hell. I didn't, I didn't take care of my health. I didn't take care of my personal uh, finances, my relationships. And if you, winning becomes a habit. If you wake up early every day, that's a win. You eat healthy for a day, that's a win. You go work out, that's a win. If you're one of those people who can't uh, if you're one of those people like me that goes into a gym and then ends up walking out early every time, right? Hire somebody to yell at you to do it, right? Go do a group fitness class, get a personal trainer, but just rack up wins every single day. And then you start seeing yourself as a winner. And it's only been the last six months in New York. New York just quickens the mind in a way I love. But working with a personal trainer, waking up early, losing weight, eating better, feeling better. You start seeing yourself as a winner again. Then you go, I want this. I want this now. And everybody's going to have to come through me. Like, I might blow up in this tournament, but you're going to play against a guy who wants it right now, right? I'm not in this for the min cash. I'm not in it to be seen as a poker player. I'm not in it for you to validate me. I'm in this for me, right? And then I notice the more I'm doing this for me, I'm seeing a fearlessness come out that I never really see discussed. In poker, which was, I was playing a hand the other day. I had queens on a 6-2-3 board. Uh, I see that. Oh, this came up in a, a, my, my friend has a simulator in advanced poker training that just puts you in all these situations. All the bots are ma modeled after real players. I always hated playing bots because I never played against a bot that plays like, I never played against a guy who plays like Poker Snowy. Right? I'm not playing against those guys. I'm playing against numbskulls. Right? So he has this amazing software that will give you everything from numbskulls and live tournaments to like high stakes players. Right? You can even play against me now, which I think is pretty neat. Although I'm afraid to play against my bot because he might just be a dumbass. And I, I don't think I'll be flattered by that. Right? But uh, uh, I, we had like a 20 question quiz I did, and like the students could do it too. And on one of the one of them, I had queens. I see bet, and uh, the guy check raised, and the board was like six two three. And I just mucked because that's my my honest thing now is if I don't know what to do, I trust myself well enough to just get out of the situation. 
because I'm hammering you on 99% of the situations. Turned out the guy had a, a set of sixes in the model, right? Mm-hmm. And I outperformed a lot of people because they were so afraid of how stupid they would look if they just folded queens or how they stupid they would, even if nobody was going to see the test, like, a guy check raises you on a 6-2-3 board from the big blind. What does he have that you beat? Let's see, do people do that with 10s anymore? When was the last time you saw somebody go, like, sweet, three undercards, let's get 100 big blinds in. I've got 10s. It's always 4-5. It's always a set. Why am I going to call the flop? Everybody, this is what everybody does. They call the flop so they can reevaluate the turn. But... Let's put this another way. Do you want the turn in river to get checked? Yes. How often is that going to happen after each check raises you on a dry board versus an under-the-gun razor and see better? Less than 10% of the time? 15% of the time? So you're calling for the intention to fold 85-90% of the time of the turn. You're just throwing your chips away. And I find, and I do this a lot in tournaments, which is I avoid, I think, really big coolers. I had this in WPT Borgata. I opened. Did you read that article, Barry? Maybe I, I have been reading most of them, so you might remind me when you say it. No, it's a essentially. I opened with jacks. It got around to a guy who hadn't three bet the entire tournament, and he just three bet huge, right? And then I had jacks in like thirty five x. I can't remember what it was forty x. And I sat there because I would jam ninety eight percent of the time, but I said let let me just. One, one thing I used to be afraid of is what happens if I do time bank in a tournament, right? Well, now my whole thing is I trust myself well enough. I never time bank for a BS reason like most of these people. I'm going to give this guy 45 seconds to see what he does, right? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, 45 seconds later, he goes, clock, clock. Calling, and I'm thinking, when was the last time I bluffed somebody from the big line and started screaming clock 50 seconds in? Mm-hmm. Have you ever done that, Barry? No. Have you ever seen someone do it? Mm, no. I can't think. I, I think I, every time I see that, I think of, like, Griffin Banger with, like, aces, right? Versus <laughs> William Kasufs or whatever the hell his name was, Kings. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not funny, dude. It's not funny. Not that that guy could do anything with Kings, but whenever I see a guy, like, flip out at me in the middle of a hand, it's a hand, usually, right? That's a very genuine reaction, which you would be very guarded about doing if you were bluffing. So, anyway, I just mucked. And I told the whole world about it, and I, I don't care about these big folds anymore because I trust myself to know I will hammer on 99% of the other situations. And that's the part of fearlessness other people don't get. It's also the fearlessness to fold when you just don't like the situation. You, you don't like the look of it, right? Something's up. Like, there's, there's a million stories of cops walking up to a house on their, like, 103rd domestic violence call of the year and just going, don't go to that front door. Mm-hmm. And then like wheeling around the side and like seeing a guy waiting with a shotgun, that front door, there's a thousand stories like that. You have to listen to your subconscious and most struggles people have in poker is denying what they already know. All right, Barry, I think we got half a question today. Any, anything else we want to talk about? Well, we did one full one and one from me. And one then for was, you, yeah. And we then we answered our own ones through chatting. So, no, it's good. It's good. All right. Um, yeah, Alex, good. how can people get in touch with you and when this product's coming out, etc.? It's uh, it's coming out on the 9th. 
stay tuned. Uh, there's a webinar I'm doing for free for advanced poker training. It might be full already, which is pretty crazy because I think that means we hit the like 500 or 1,000 person cap or whatever it was. But, uh, you know, look for that. We'll see if we can uh, get that out somewhere else. That's advanced poker training stuff, uh, that free webinar. So uh, I got I to gotta talk to them about that, guys. But if you want to stay tuned to my newsletter, I'm sure you'll hear a lot about that. You can sign up at PokerHeadRush.com. Uh, and on the top right, there's a little sign-up link for my newsletter. That'll get you, you know, every week I put out free podcasts, free articles, free videos. There's literally no one else putting out as much free content as me. So if you want to learn how to play poker and you don't have a pot to piss in, I am the source of how you're going to get there, right? And then if you really want to make your game great, we got other stuff going on. So, you know, check it out. Uh, you can write me at alex at pokeredrush.com. Follow me on Twitter at the Auto. Check out my training videos at Tournament Poker Edge. And check out my weekly column at America's Cardrooms blog. Okay, and follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com. Keep your questions coming in for Alex. Questions at oneouter.com on email and we will get them read out on a future show. Alex, thanks again. I really enjoyed that. I think there's lots there for people to get. And um, if that doesn't win us uh, All-American Poker Awards, Best Poker Podcast or whatever, <laughs> then I don't know. I, I don't know what we need to do. <laughs> um, so, okay, thanks for listening. Until next week, cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.